Hey everyone, it's Nathaniel, the Pondering Theologian. Uh, we are continuing our interview with Danny Postma. If you have not listened to the first part of this interview, I recommend going back an episode and listening to it. You get some great fun questions, some deep theological ideas, some great information about connecting faith and church and community and the earth. So go back and listen to that if you have not. And if you have and you're as excited as I am to continue this interview, well, then you're in the right place. So we will continue with our conversation now. Thank you so much for listening to The Pondering Theologian. And we are back and we will go a, another new way because you just totally threw me with your amazing answers about unicorns. So what do you think is something that the Western church is missing right now? And, and by Western, I'll clarify for the listeners, I, I mean more specifically the North American con continent but including kind of the euro tradition of the church currently which also is kind of a, a large loaded question um what do you think in general from your perspective your experience um is the western or the american church missing either theologically socially spiritually so first i want to just comment that that little clip of you because i just your mind with my answers about unicorns that's a great excerpt and summary of these conversations about theology it's great thanks for linking my <laughs> theology with unicorns i appreciate that sir um as as someone who just defended their position uh, of, of creativity and imagination in the church <laughs> you are welcome i have no apologies it's great thanks um Okay, so what do I think the Western church or the American church is missing? I've already mentioned imagination, um, so I can double down on that. But also I think we are a little bit too entrenched into the um, capitalistic concept of growth and power and that that is what a successful church looks like. Um, so I think missing what... The, like what um, the church should be uh, not through those lenses of growth and power and if you're not growing you're not doing it right or if you're not gaining members you must be doing something wrong That those kind of mindsets um, and just generally maybe humility like to be able to admit that like when mistakes are made or harm is caused to be able to repent and apologize and make reparations for the harms that are caused without just dismissing um, or ignoring problems as they come. So humility <laughs> would be a, a summary of that, I think. 
you kind of have alluded to uh, some of the issues relate to superiority, um, kind of a very top-down patriarchy, and, and at times gaslighting, especially if we think of the news in recent times. How do you think, kind of coming from your refugee perspective, we can, in our small churches or in our larger contexts, work towards overcoming those? I think that's the million dollar question that the church is facing right now. Uh, yeah, and to be fair, this is not necessarily a, a fair question to ask any one person. Um, but if you could, I'll, I'll re-clarify it for, for fairness and for, for kindness. Um, what do you think is one thing that we can take steps to do wherever we are um, to work towards that? Mm-hmm. I think that transparency helps to prevent and also um, reveal a lot of damaging things. Um, And so I think increased transparency in how the church operates and acts is something that can and should be happening and that we should as individuals be pushing for. I think sometimes people get worried and I've heard a lot of arguments, well, how can we be transparent and still be like respectful of privacy um, and other things like that? And I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think you can absolutely be transparent and still respect privacy concerns for individuals or groups or not disclose every detail, but still be transparent in what you're doing and who you're operating with. Right, you can say I messed up without saying I messed up with, you know, Johnny Crickets over there. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I think accountability um, and just, I, I know this is probably ironic coming from someone who is seeking to be ordained and also highly educated, but doing like the actual doing of church and the like Christian life is not something that is restricted to people who are qualified. Nobody's qualified besides God. And any qualifications should come from God empowering us to do things. And for some of us, that is ordination and education and other things. But I think that there is a, especially in a lot of the churches that I see, the bigger um scandals happening and bigger corruption issues happening there does seem to be a culture of those people who are ordained or who are in control are somehow above the rules that the church would hold to others and i think that a little bit of hero worship happens in those churches and i think that that's idolatry and misdirected we should be worshiping god not the pastor And so I think that a little bit of breaking down of some of those um, barriers between like uh, ordained ministry and other things like that and certain roles would be healthy for redirecting some issues. I think that's very reasonable. And 
I think it, I think you, you touched on quite a few things that are things that can be worked on in different contexts and, and in the wider context to work towards things being able to be those little pockets of, of refugee or towards being those little truly God-centric communities. What if we just like loved each other and didn't care about <laughs> gaining power or other things from it? Wouldn't that be cool? That would be pretty rad, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Um, it is very interesting though, and it's very cliche in my opinion for the church to start going through the whole write the, the seven types of love in the Greek language and what did Jesus truly mean. Um, but I think even in that, often we still get divided on what love is and we get away from even what's what's just laid out in Genesis chapter one that we're all just created in the image of God. And so to hurt you is to hurt me, is to hurt God. Very true. What do you think the first century Christians um, would be surprised to, uh, the most to know about the church today? That's a great question. Um, I think they'd be pretty surprised that most of our uh, maybe like how we do communion, I think would be very shocking for for the early Christians uh, and that we don't actually eat meals together very often. Some, some of us are better at that than others, but the church is not centered around eating meals together. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, to bring it kind of back to the previous conversation, if some of that is losing perspective of what love in community, love in our siblings in Christ and love in God is. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's just wanting to be too caught up in, right, the, the local liturgy or the, the power of who gets to set worship. Um, which it's always crazy to me when a, pow uh, a pastor power trips on how worship service gets done. And and, and that's not to say that they shouldn't have a hand in crafting the worship service because I very have, have, have died on a few hills over a worship service. Um, but it's more just that it has to be done my way and no conversation and why this is the most loving, honoring way that we, we can show reverence towards God. That was a very long rant. I apologize. No, it was great. Um, I, I agree. And I think as you were talking, another thing that I thought they might be surprised by is uh, that many of our churches uh, don't really believe that the Holy Spirit can do radical things anymore um, I think early Christians uh, were literally 
empowered by the Holy Spirit and had a much healthier understanding of just how powerful that is. So I think maybe the that we're so disempowered individually and collectively might be a surprising thing for them. Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking, um, I forget who it was I was speaking with recently about the the problem with the American mind or not the American the human mind as, as a people of humans we have a, a issue that the farther we get away from a, a thing the less real it is to us and the less uh, or the more difficult it is for us to recognize th those similar things happening so the farther we get away from the first Pentecost, the, the harder it is for some people to see a true spiritual movement in the world. Um, you know, we can, for, for us old people, we can talk about 9-11 or um, uh, Desert Storm in, in, in U.S. military and political stuff. Farther away we get from people who lived through that and can remember where they were those, those days. Um, the less important it can seem, the more idolized it can seem. So I think it's, that would be something that would be very drastic to them and kind of one of those like, well, I remember where I was when Peter told me about the spirit or when the spirit came down. Whereas it can be very hard in today's kind of stigmatized world to be able to recognize those things. very philosophical spin on that i appreciate that well i where you got to do theological study in your undergrad i spent most of my time in philosophy classes <laughs> so i tend to go that way um, in, in a lot of things kind of in the same vein what do you think the 21st century church could benefit most from the first century church is it's that that same um making communion more historically what it was or in being more attuned with the spirit as a people or something totally different like <laughs> actually having tighter communities yeah i mean i'm pretty community minded so that is definitely where my brain goes initially um the communal elements of the early church are just so beautiful and uh like the like acts two and all of the sharing that happens that they um broke bread together and shared uh belongings and other things like that i think unfortunately we've become so sensitive to like any sort of shared property is communism or <laughs> socialism or whatever word someone wants to throw out about it and really it's it can also just be really great ways to live in a not so self-centered way community-centered instead of self and individual-centered. Um, and I think 
and I say this with the total acknowledgement that I have a nuclear family of my husband and my kids and love them very much. But I do think that the church today puts an unhealthy emphasis on nuclear families in that way and has lost sort of the early church's understanding of what like being a brother and sister in Christ, being a family of God was and is and should be. That's totally fair. I think in that same vein, um, often people want to get into the historical Jesus or historical elements of the gospel, but they don't want to do quite the same for the book of Acts or for the New Testament in general. We forget that in Greek culture, the way the house was set up was very oriented on community. when when you had people over the concept of a family was very different than it is today um even relationships down at the romantic level very different in greek culture which is what was the new testament world when jesus walked um very different context than we try to apply it to today not that it doesn't apply to us in our context but we forget that there are multiple ways to understand scripture because it was i mean there's kind of that holy trinity of of contexts of scripture um which is for those that haven't heard me talk about it before the world behind the texts of what happened leading up to the events you're reading about in a particular book um, and then what's happening in the world around what's being said, why is it being said, what does it mean then and there, and then the, the future, what does it mean for us today and beyond us? That's my very like educated spiel there. <laughs> Love it. Doing our New Testament professor very proud, I'm well, sure. He, he would be overjoyed. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, you talking about the Book of Acts and that kind of... Um, it's Acts chapter four, because I just wrote a, an episode that'll come out before this on it, um, kind of focusing on that, that human harmony and unity that I think is missed and that we could definitely learn from. Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts before I continue to pivot? Because I'm <laughs> always perpetually moving forward. That's no, great. I'm ready to pivot with you. Okay. Um, I will be kind and not name any theologians that you have active issues against. Um, But who do you think of is your favorite, just, um, who is your favorite theologian? And then who do you think is your favorite influential theologian? Because they're not always the same, right? Like one of our professors is very about Echo Clampadius is not very well known but it's like very influential uh theologian but then everyone loves like augustine one of the big name ones um so is there two that you can think of in those different veins that you you like first of all love that you said you weren't gonna throw out any of the theologians that i maybe don't love and totally managed to name drop Augustine. Um, 
who I'm fine going on record as saying I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, not necessarily that I disagree with uh, all that Augustine has to say, but um, I think it's missed sometimes that his theology uh, evolved radically <laughs> over the time that he was writing as well. And there's some pretty big uh, growth in his theology that maybe isn't acknowledged in the church Wait, today. Can we talk about that for a moment? Uh, just, it's, <laughs> no. it's a very, no, I don't want to attack your position on Augustine. I think it's very interesting thinking of um, kind of this Western idea of theology, that theology doesn't grow until someone new writes it. Um, so, right, like Karl Barth echoes Augustine and other people, but yet we don't always see the change in Augustine. Or I was talking to someone recently about uh, John Calvin, um, because um, as, as I've said on other episodes, I am in the Presbyterian Church USA, and their problem was that uh, Calvinism seems to be very restrictive. And I had to remind them that Calvinism and uh, Presbyterianism aren't necessarily 100% tied together, but also people don't recognize that Calvinism did progress as Calvin wrote even into his final. Um, and, and so I think that's just fantastically interesting and abhorrent that we don't acknowledge that people like Augustine changed, people like Anselm changed, people like um, Calvin changed, uh, Zwingli changed, all these people changed as time went on. Yeah. Um, Wesley, too, uh, has a pretty big evolving theology story, I remember. Um, so I guess trying to actually answer your original question, uh, this might not surprise you, but I can't, I don't actually have like one theologian that I would be like, yep, that's my dude. I just... I really don't have that. I have Man, several. Man, so <laughs> That's it. I know. That's the end it's of the episode. Everyone go sort home. Of, sort of goes against like everything inside of me to be able to say that I have a favorite theologian, actually. Uh, so sorry for that disappointment. Um, but Perfectly fine. I, <laughs> I would say if we're going like influential, but maybe a little underrated, Julian of Norwich was fantastic and totally underrated mostly because she's a woman but like um, Avalo is the same way for me um <laughs> i i'm like you i don't have one particular favorite one I, although i do probably identify most with zwingli um mostly because he didn't actually want to be a reformer he just wanted to go study and that's what I would like to do is just go study, but I'm constantly being forced out to do things. <laughs> um, so I think that is perfectly fair. Um, not to cut you off, no, but uh, do you have have more to say about Julian of Norwich? Um, not necessarily. Uh, I'd have to dust off my church history information to go into more detail, but I remember loving uh learning about her and uh just sort of the 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 major quote from her is the all will be well all will be well 
all manner of things will be well or something like that. And it's just so just wise, <laughs> like just the most simple, but incredibly wise statement. Um, so to try to, you know, uh, give you at least some more answers to the question about theologians, I would say, uh, if I have li- more recently, I do enjoy a lot of writings from Walter Brueggemann and mostly because I love the Old Testament and his writings come across as he really loves the Old Testament and it's fun to read a lot of what he writes and he's very pastoral in a lot of his writings. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor is a more recent one as well. And then like current active, uh, I would say rising in my opinion, favorite theologian is Sandra Van Ofstal. Um, she's Latina and just really fiery and great and doesn't hold back on her uh, thoughts about the church and what it could and should be. Fantastic. I'll try to remember to put all of those those names and some of their works in the show notes. Um, so you kind of already addressed an, another question I had hoped to ask, which is uh, who do you think is the mover and shaker that's going to kind of affect the scope of the American church in, in our lifetimes? Um, but do you think there are others to pay attention to? Not that there's anyone that you should like ignore, but is there someone specifically, some group of people specifically that you think they're doing work that's going to be kind of lasting um so right i mentioned sandra van opstall who absolutely fits that bill and i think that picking up on a key part of her identity is that she is latina and i think that more than just naming names it's i think we need to pay attention to um the global south and what those churches are doing and i think that it is a hard thing for white people to learn to listen to people of other cultures especially theologians of from other cultures and backgrounds and countries but i think that that's going to be an important part of the future of the church fantastic what do kind of shifting a little bit again um because we have such limited time together, but so much to talk about, um, as is always the case with opinionated people. <laughs> um, what do you think is, um, what do you think is one of the most important lessons you've learned while in your seminary journey thus far in thinking kind of of the theological things that we have spoken about in the last I don't know, 10, 20 minutes? the most important man I don't, oh, I don't you, know you I... can distill it down into some <laughs> like concepts or ideas I mean it doesn't have to be like the rule of blah 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 <laughs> thanks um I think important concepts I've learned will come down to uh the trinity 
and I guess that's appropriate as it's Trinity Sunday coming up, but really just how mysterious God is and how we can, instead of being scared of that, of the like mystery and confusion that that can cause for us, sort of embracing it and embracing our own um, simplicity, I guess, or limited understandings of things and leaning into it as just a great way to try to know God, even in and through the mystery of, of God. Because honestly, I'm trying to write a children's sermon for this Sunday about the Trinity, and I keep thinking, it is such a complex and hard concept for even those of us who have studied extensively. And I think that it's, I don't know, it's humbling and great. Um, So that would be just like the nature of God is something fascinating that I think a lot of people don't spend much time thinking about because it feels too hard or confusing and I think that traps us at a little bit of a limited understanding of God Um, and that there is not like to summarize the biggest uh, takeaway that I have come like my personal epiphany there is not a specific type or kind of pastor or person who is qualified or best at ministry. Every people from every personality type, uh, introvert, extrovert, opinionated, soft-spoken, all all of those God calls and equips equally and has great work to be done for the kingdom, no matter what you bring to the table. It's fantastic. Um we are running close to our end of uh, uh, time together for today. Um, so I'm going to hit you with a couple of not so difficult questions, hopefully, and then we'll, we'll let you go. Um, what makes you feel inspired or like your, your best self, uh, you know, in general or in your work? I love connecting people to each other. Um, I have been recently leading a book club and the people who came to the group, many of them had no clue who each other were. And it made me feel so just at home and in the zone to be able to bring people from very different places and backgrounds into the same space and have them leave like exchanging contact information and being excited about knowing each other and planning times to see each other outside of a book club and just that connection that occurs by just being bold enough to uh, bring people together I think is really great and that makes me feel uh, excited and alive that's fantastic um If in 150 years, science has failed to save us and all that is left is a book about your life, what would you like the title to be? And what would the blurb tell us about? Hmm. What does that mean that science has failed to save us? 
like we I... should be living to 150 years old or <laughs> no 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 when i when i wrote it i meant more as in we have not advanced as a human race and and i'm including in that advancement caring for the earth so assuming that it is one oh. of those dystopian ideas where we've just destroyed ourselves kind of kind of like on a uh, um like a elf stones of shannar like terry brooks idea sort of like leading up to like this total destruction okay so like post-apocalyptic <laughs> what would my the book about my life be called um, if all that is left the book about your life what would the title be and what is the blurb gonna tell us um that is not an easy question okay uh, well we'll leave it for the next time then i'll, I'll give you one easier hey, one it's like i'll do Question. I'll do some deep reflecting and thinking about that and get back to you on I'll my bring it up book title. Next, I'll bring it up in a text in like 10 minutes just so you never forget it. Okay, great, um, if you could have a diner with any three people that are alive who, if you could have dinner, not a diner. Now <laughs> I, can, I can read my own handwriting, I promise. If you could have dinner with mm -hmm. any three people that are alive, who would they be and why? Mm. So I'm glad you clarified because having a diner with people is very different than having yes. dinner like that's business management and that's hard um i think i have to go like sentimental and say uh my dad who passed away uh, about a year and a half ago would love to have dinner with him again um uh and i'm so bad at people questions nathaniel <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a current uh, woman who is a diplomat named Samantha Powers uh, would love to meet her <laughs> so I'm going to throw that in there and then historically just to absolutely blow your mind I would go with Augustine because I would love to actually meet the real human being that was Augustine to get a, you know, maybe give him a fair shake. <laughs> that would be extremely interesting. I would pay to watch that dinner. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us your perspective, a little bit about what God's doing in your life, what God is doing through you, and for helping to entertain me in my favorite questions just to throw people off. And we'll look forward to having you back on the podcast in the future to revisit your your book that will save humanity and <laughs> other such questions. So thank you. That's great. Thanks. And maybe next time I can grill you with lots of uh, obscure theological questions. That would be great. Maybe maybe <laughs> we'll do that in the near future, whereas inter interview the pondering theologian. That will be. So that's a good idea. We'll, we'll imagine that. Okay. But, Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening. If you're curious to learn more and get in contact, you can reach out in show notes. It's all the contact information, social media, email, website. And I will hopefully have all of the information that Danny mentioned about her work and others in those show notes. So 
Until next time, remember that God loves you no matter what. And there's nothing that you can do about that. And we'll see you on the next episode.